0: This from Leviticus chapter 23, in which the festival of weeks, or what we call Pentecost, was outlined. And in the last verse, it says, When you reap the harvest of your field, do not reap all the way to the edges of your field, nor gather up the gleanings of the harvest. Leave them for the poor and the alien. I am the Lord your God. And this, from the first Christian Pentecost in Acts chapter 2, we are told that they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. And everyone was filled with awe. And great wonders and miraculous signs were performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and held everything in common, selling their possessions and goods they gave to anyone as he had need this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Be seated, please. Some years ago, a friend of mine answered the phone for the church at, at where he was pastor. And when he answered the phone, gave the name of the church. The inquirer said, are you a charismatic church? And he said, well, if you mean, are we spirit filled? Yes. No, she said, do you speak in tongues? And he said, well, not ordinarily in our service. Then you are not a charismatic church, she said, and hung up the phone. That symbolizes and typifies much of the debate that's gone on for the last century about just what is a spirit-filled church? What is a church filled with the Holy Spirit? What is a believer filled with the Spirit of God? And one of the ways to look at that question is to go back to the first Christian Pentecost when uh, Peter spoke. And thousands were converted. And see what happened on that day. I want to walk with you there real quickly. What happened is that all the disciples and other people were gathered in the house. And the house means not an upper room. The house means house of God. Or uh, you know how we call a prison, the big house. Well, they called the temple God's house. So they were gathered there. And then all of a sudden there was wind. And there was fire. And then people began speaking in tongues. Or at least other people heard the word of God in their own language. Peter preached. 3,000 were converted. The converted formed a community that shared together. That was the first Pentecost. And perhaps all those things are involved when you talk about a church that is filled with the spirit. But I think we would do well to go back beyond the Christian Pentecost and look at the Jewish festival, because Pentecost is not a Christian celebration first, it is a Jewish celebration. The word Pentecost was the Greek term for the festival of weeks, or what they called in Hebrew Shavuot. And they, it was to be held 50 days after the festival, the first fruits, and that's where the Greeks got the term Pentecost for 50 days. And uh, this was one of three major festivals that God outlined for God's people. Three times a year they were to come and gather for a giant celebration. They were to gather at Passover to celebrate their redemption. They were to gather in the fall for Sukkoth or the, the festival of Booths to celebrate the giving of the promised land. And in between them they were to gather for the festival of weeks or Shavuot to celebrate God's provision, the giving of the harvest. And these three great festivals were times of great excitement. According to Josephus, a million people would descend upon Jerusalem in these days. Now, the festival of Shavuot was outlined in Leviticus 23. What was to happen? And what was to happen is that each family was to bring a, an offering of bread, a, a grain offering. They were not only to bring bread before the Lord, they were to bring a bull before the Lord. And they were to bring seven male um lambs and then after they had done this they were then to join together after the sacrifices in a time of celebration but after a while and by the time of jesus the festival had actually expanded and taken on additional meaning apparently scholars did the math and, and reasoned together that it must have taken about 50 days to get out of egypt from the passover to get to mount sinai where they got the ten commandments So they began to celebrate Shavuot as a day of the Ten Commandments. They figured that God said in Deuteronomy, you shall not live by bread alone. So at the same time you celebrate bread, you celebrate every word that comes out of the mouth of God. So they would read Exodus 19 and 20 and the commandments of God at Shavuot. They also came to read, um, for reasons I don't know, Ezekiel 1 and 2 which talks about the presence of God and wind and fire. And they were reading that by the time of Jesus' day. And they were reading from the book of Ruth. It also had become the day in which they celebrated the death of King David. Now, with those facts in mind, let's, let's go back now to the first Christian celebration of this festival. A million people gathered together probably, and suddenly there is wind and there is fire, just like Ezekiel 1. And then there are tongues, there are voices, which is interesting because according to the Jews, God's voice thundered at Mount Sinai and they received God's voice with the Ten Commandments. So you had winds, fire of Ezekiel, voice just like the Ten Commandments, and then Peter preached this sermon, 3,000 people came and became baptized and became the first Christian community. Interestingly... At Mount Sinai, when Moses was receiving the Ten Commandments, do you remember what was going on down below? They were worshiping a golden calf. And when Moses found out about it, he was greatly distressed, and he called and rallied and said, all right, those of you who are faithful, pick up a sword and kill anybody that was involved in this plot to worship another god. And do you know how many people were killed? Take a guess. 3,000, the exact same number that 1,200 years later would become converted and i assure you by now the worshipers who were there at pentecost their eyes were getting about this big because they were seeing and hearing the scripture fulfilled right in front of them but there was one more point there was there is this in leviticus 23 it said at the end of talking about how you celebrate the festival at Shavuot, it said and when you gather the harvest." Don't reap all the way to the edges of your field. Believe that. And don't pick up the gleanings. Leave that for the poor and for the alien. Shavuot was a time to thank God for the harvest. It became a time to celebrate the word of God and the presence of God. But it also became a time to care for the poor. And in fact, after they had the big sacrifice, when they gathered for a meal together, they would invite the poor and share the meal with them because they knew that god cared about the poor now let's go back to peter what happens he preaches a sermon three thousand people get converted at pentecost and then what do they do according to scriptures in acts 2 40, uh 2 to 45 they gather together they sell their stuff and what do they do with it they give it to the, the poor Because that's what you do at Shavuot. That's what you do at Pentecost. You celebrate the presence of God, the Word of God, and you care for the poor. It seems that the Jewish understanding of Pentecost helps us see that one of the signs that the Holy Spirit is really in your midst is that you care for the poor. Let me make two observations this morning. The first one is this. If you claim to be a Spirit-filled community... And don't care about the poor, you are not. If you claim to be filled with the Holy Spirit of God as a believer and you don't care about the poor, you need to think about that again. Because the biblical witness is this. Anybody who's filled with God's Spirit cares about the people God cares about. In the Bible, it's very clear that God cares about the poor. God worries about the widow. God worries about the orphan. God worries about the person who's grieving. God worries about the person who doesn't have enough to eat. God worries about the person who is lonely. That's God's spirit. That's what God is like. And if we claim to be full of God, but we don't care for other people, that's an empty claim. That's an empty claim. The Jews knew this, I think. One of the stories that they, uh, that they tell is of a rabbi named Bansha. And Bansha lived in a time when a lot of people just didn't care about God, and he was frustrated trying to get people to care about God, so finally decides, well, I can care about God, and I'll devote my life to doing that, and maybe others will follow my example. Maybe they won't. Well, he lives a wonderful life and a righteous life, and he dies. And he goes up to the gates of heaven. And there he's met by a prosecuting attorney whose job is to convince God not to let him in. If you wonder why they'd ever make up a story like that, read the book of Job. And then he's got a defense attorney whose job is to convince God that this guy ought to get in. So he gets to the gates of heaven. The defense attorney says, this is Rabbi Bancha. And as you know, God, he has kept your law. He has loved you with his heart and soul and strength. He's loved other people. We have never heard him say a bad word about anyone. And they look over the prosecuting attorney, and he's like, I got nothing. This guy's great. And God smiles. And God says, Rabbi Bancha, You have lived such a wonderful life. Ask me for anything, for anything on earth or heaven, and I will give it to you. And Rabbi Bansha thinks about it in a moment, and he says, I would like for all in eternity a hot buttered roll when I wake up in the morning. And they look at the defense attorney, and he is frowning. They look at the prosecuting attorney. He is grinning, and God is greatly disappointed. A chance to ask for anything on behalf of anyone, and all he can think about is a hot roll for himself. The spirit of God, when it is moving in us, makes us think about other people. There was once a gathering of people who claimed to be very strong followers of Jesus, and it was kind of like renovari. They were all gathered there, learn how to follow Jesus more. And and a speaker said to them, "How many of you think Jesus spent any time with the poor?" And 80% of them said yes, which kind of makes me wonder what Bible the other 20% were reading, but that's another story. And then he went on to say, and how many of you spend time with the poor? 2%. 2% did what Jesus did. We cannot claim to be the people of Christ and ignore people in need. A few weeks ago, we had the great day of service, and it was my privilege to minister among people in need on another side of town, And I want to tell you, I do not do that nearly enough. We heard Scott say that when you share, it does something for other people, but it does something also for you, and I learned that. Too much of my life, I've been part of the 98%. And that must change. If I'm filled with the Spirit, I care about what God cares about. And God cares about those who are in need. One other observation. This builds on what Dinah said last week. You may remember Dinah talked about the town of Priene in Turkey where the early Christian community settled. It had a big temple to Athena, and when you were pagan, you built the biggest, baddest temple, kind of like Cowboy Stadium, I guess, that you could build because you wanted to say, our God is really big. And the way people knew about your God was what happened in your temple. But Jewish scholars will tell you, they may not believe it, But when they read the New Testament and they look at Pentecost, they know exactly what's happening. God is saying, I don't live in that building anymore. Here's the wind. Here's the fire. I live in the people. You are the temple of the Holy Spirit. That's exactly what Paul said. And the you, as you know, is plural. It's Texan. It's it's y'all. That's where God lives. And what people will know about our God is what they see in you. And the only way they're going to know that God cares about those who are disadvantaged economically, those who are grieving, those who are lonely, those who are hurting, is if they see in us care for people who are in need. It's the only way it's going to happen. You may remember the time at the end of a sermon, Dinah said that uh, writer Alan Hirsch uh, says that the church moves forward like a sneeze. And that is that it just kind of gets expelled and it's contagious, and it's viral, and that's what it's about. The church explodes outward, and that's how God moves, Sneeze, goes forward, infects other people, and it's infectious when we care about others the way we say we care about God. I would want to remind you That once you've accepted Christ into your life, which is very important, and once you understand his great love for you, which is foundational, then you are called to respond. And you are called, I believe, to respond in three directions. Up. You respond to love God with all your heart and soul and strength. You are to respond in with each other. Remember Dinah told us last week, Jesus said, A new commandment I give you. This is big when he says that. Love one another. We're to love each other and support each other. And then the direction we go is out to the world to care for the poor. Real quick, object lesson this morning. Fire of God, the Holy Spirit, leading us out. The brand new Bible, the text, leading us up. And all of us together going in those two directions. That's what it's about. That's what it is to be spirit-filled. That's what it is to be Christian. The story is told about Alexander the Great that there was a deserter in his army. A young deserter was brought to him, which is very unusual. Usually deserters were just killed on the spot when they were found. And he was brought before Alexander, and Alexander said to him, young man, what is your name? And he said, I share the name of my king, Alexander. And Alexander the Great looked at the young man, and he said, well, young man, either change your life or change your name. What is your name, church? Christian. Well, are we going to live up to that or do we change our name?